So each of us were given a different topic for the round robin. My topic was One Hope. And the text that it's based on, uh, I have to admit, is weird. I don't know what they were thinking for a hope text. But what's going on in John 6, starting earlier than 56, but starting at 56, Jesus says, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I am them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. And this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, and the flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but among you are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones who did not believe, and who was the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. That's all pre-sermon text. Here's the sermon text, 66 to 69. Because of this, Many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Here ends the gospel lesson. So did you catch why I was having troubles with hope at the end of that lesson? But I started with the question, what does hope look like during the season of Lent? Hope is always a type of faith that is based in what God is doing for us in the future. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. First time you hear that, you have to ask yourselves, what attitude is this being said in? Is this full of sadness that everyone is departing, betraying, leaving Jesus? Is it kind of a fatalism? Where else can we go? 
So a little history. John is writing his gospel 60 years after Jesus' death. His community of believers is being slandered with the charges of cannibalism. Eat my body, drink my blood. People who were attracted by the other stories of Jesus are deeply offended. And they say this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? So John has a choice. Does he soften the words to make it understood? Not John. He maximizes the offense. And he says, unless you eat the flesh of my son of man and drink his blood, there is no life in you. To the Jewish people listening to Jesus, this is a pun on the Jewish words. A disgusting pun. To drink human blood is to drink life. Blood is reserved only in worship on the altar. Blood is holy. To drink it is indeed to have life within oneself. But it's a sacrilege. It is pretending to be like God. So John draws a picture, and it's not a pretty picture, but it's a realistic picture. It's a picture of disbelief. Jesus has been surrounded by people who want to follow him. He has been surrounded by people who used to believe. He is surrounded by people that have gone through the motions of being faithful too long. And they finally give up. But at the same time, there are other believers who have come to believe in what Jesus has said. They have courage and they have faith. But he still asks the questions of the twelve. Will you too go away? And we're sitting in a position where we can know that, yes, the twelve will go away. But Simon Peter answers, Lord, to where shall we go? You have these words, this life, eternal life. So then we have to ask, if many disciples were leaving, and Peter and the twelve are staying, are they different? Are they more faithful? Are they more courageous? Are they smarter? I think the answer is no. Lord, Peter says, Lord, where shall we go? Peter knows where to look.
Lord. He sees Jesus as the Messiah. He sees Jesus as the one. And he sees in a different way than those disciples who are leaving. They weren't more courageous. They just saw. They just looked in the right spot. One hope. So where does the disciple hold on to hope? We have to do a little backstory, back what I read. There is no handing over of Jesus to anyone in the book of John. Jesus hands himself over so that he is arrested because that's what the good shepherd does in the book of John. So what is betrayal then? Betrayal in John is not believing the abundant life that Jesus offers you, that it's real. Betrayal is that which causes you to believe that this life is for everyone else but you. Betrayal Is it anything that makes you think you aren't someone Jesus could love? Betrayal is that which suggests that your relationship potential is rejected. And that's your lot in life. Betrayal is thinking that the real relationship is just a figment of a hopeful ideal. We are left with a hope that says the God of this world would have us think that the God of this world is real. So we ask, won't we always betray ourselves in a relationship with God? The text tells us that we are utterly hopeless and helpless in our own human abilities to come to God. You've heard me say this many times. Our natural tendency is to sin. Our natural tendency is I. A child starts it by saying, I want to do it myself. We talk about the rising and the setting of the sun like it revolves around us. Which if we have gone to science class and we're awake, we know that that's not true. We have said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it doesn't quite ring true. It's not about I. It's about Jesus. It's about that spirit giving us life. 
It's about the Father dragging us, kicking and screaming to Jesus. When a baby is baptized, the last couple of them, they cried. It's wonderful. Because that's how we react to God. Jesus wants to get inside of us. He comes in through our ears when we hear the word. Comes in through our mouths. Sort of like that chocolate cake tonight. It comes in as a sacrament. Some pastors were having a text study. And one of them said, They were driving their car, and they only saw part of a billboard. It was a Coca-Cola sign. They only saw part of it. But she instantly knew what it was. And she mentioned it to the person in the car with her. And the friend was in marketing. And the marketing person said, Coca-Cola owns a piece of your brain. And then they were driving. And the marketing person said, how many McDonald's have we driven by? The Golden Arches. And she said, three. And then the marketing person said to the pastor, and how many churches have we driven by? And she said, I don't know. Does Christ have a piece of our brain? Is it anywhere near the Nike swoosh? So Peter's making two points about hope. The disciples certainly did not discover life in a spiritual sense, on their own. They discovered it through Jesus. And if Jesus has shown them life, why would you leave? Second thing, it was the evidence before them, that hope that they could hold on to. If Jesus is the Messiah... God's chosen one, God's holy one, then why would you abandon what is seen? We have hope because it is God working life into our failures and our rejection. The church is calling us to the word of life. And that word of life is our hope, and that word of life is around us, among us, and within us. Oops. Within us. And even the dark parts of Lent, when Peter denies, and with Judas betraying, At the end of the story, there is hope. 
our natural inclination is to turn and leave, to avoid the difficult call, to avoid the cross. Yet where do we go? The Word, the Spirit, the Father, all continue to call us, enlighten us, draw us in to life, to give us hope. We answer like Peter. Lord, where shall we go? You have life. Amen.